me get myself set up here. I was hanging out in the back running the soundboard. I joked this morning with my wife that maybe I'd just make you all turn your chairs around and preach from the back. Um, Brian, are we back up and running? Nope. Well, I was going to welcome all the people watching on Facebook Live, but they just got cut off like three seconds ago. Not, no joke. So uh, I was going to joke that that was Satan, but you'll get that joke in a minute here. Um, so for those of you who may not know me, my name is Rick Kahn. I'm one of the communicators here at the Mount Pleasant Scottsdale campus at Charter Oak Church. For the past several weeks, we have been studying through the book of 1 John. Now, this book is a letter written by one of Jesus' inner circle of disciples. His name was John. Now, we don't have the exact details, but best estimates say that this book was written somewhere around A.D. 90 to a group of churches uh, in the area of Ephesus. Um, John would have been in his early 80s at this point, uh, and he would have been in exile on the island of Patmos. Uh, Prior to this, John had been the lead pastor in the church at Ephesus, He had been captured as part of the persecution of Jesus' followers under the uh, Roman emperor Domitian. Uh, And according to church history, Domitian sentenced John to be executed by being boiled in oil. Now, John miraculously survived the execution attempt, so Domitian exiled him to Patmos for the rest of his life. And Patmos, just to give you an idea, it's a small, rocky, barren island where Roman criminals were sent to work the mines and serve out their sentences. So in this setting, we have an 80-plus-year-old John serving a life sentence of hard labor in the mines of a remote island, and he's writing to his home church and the churches in the surrounding area. So I want you to hear his heart whenever you hear these verses. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about this book's teaching on end times. Uh, If you were here, you heard a message that's probably very different than what people typically hear about whenever the topic of end times is discussed. So during that service, it was pointed out that when people talk about end times, there are opposite errors that people can make. One is to disbelieve about its existence, downplay its importance. The other is to feel this excessive and unhealthy interest of it, in it. Now, that message wasn't fear-based. It didn't talk about wild theories. It was simply rooted in what John wrote and what Jesus has said, and it focused on the fact that in what John calls the last days, there will be many false teachers. These people will misrepresent what the Bible says. They will use that to manipulate people. And we were warned to watch out for that. So the topic of today's message has similar potential. We're going to be talking about what John had to say about the spiritual world and spiritual warfare. And I think people can make the same error about this that they make about the end times. Some people see the devil under every rock. Car breaks down, that's the devil. Get sick, the devil. Steelers lose to the Browns, devil. (laughs) Now that is not to say that the devil cannot manipulate these things. The Bible is clear that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us in the world. And certainly, Satan can try to manipulate us to respond to these situations poorly instead of turning to God and trusting him. But honestly, the opposite error is probably a lot more common, and that error is pretending that spiritual warfare and the enemy of our souls does not even exist. So in our discipleship triad this week, we're studying about prayer. And in the passage where Jesus models how to pray for his disciples, Jesus thought it was important to remind his disciples, and remember, that's us, remind his disciples to pray for God's protection from the evil one. If you've ever said the Lord's Prayer, 
There's that little line in there. And think about that. Jesus thought it was important that we always remember that we're in a spiritual battle. What's that famous quote? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he, he didn't exist. So we don't want to fall into that trap either. And sometimes it feels like we're in this impossible dilemma. How do we know how to react to what may very well be spiritual attacks in our lives? And a good first step is to see what God says on this subject in the Bible, and that's what we're going to try to unpack today. So let me set all this up by reading a story about Elijah from 2 Kings. If you guys don't know, Elisha was a prophet of God, cool guy, lots of great stories about Elisha in the Old Testament. But being a prophet of God means that Elisha spoke to the people for God. So 2 Kings 6, 8 through 10 says this, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on that place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. So to lay out what's going on here, when the king of Aram, which is located in modern Syria, would make plans to attack Israel, God would reveal those plans to Elisha. Elisha would then tell the king of Israel... And Israel would be ready for the attack. And you can imagine after a while of this, the king of Aram got angry. So in 2 Kings 6.11, it says, This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. Simply put, the king of Aram is asking, Okay, who's the traitor? And his men reply in 2 Kings 6.12-15, None of us, my lord, the king said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So imagine you're Elisha's servant. You throw open the curtains in the morning. Enemy army. He wakes up. He sees the enemy army surrounding them. And he panics. Elisha, what are we going to do? Second Kings 6.16 says, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha simply says, there's more of us than there are of them. And I'm sure Elisha's servant did a quick count looking around the room. Well, there's me and there's Elisha. Two guys in the house versus a great army with horses and chariots. And he was probably thinking that Elisha's math wasn't adding up. But listen to what happens next. In 2 Kings 6.17, it says, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prays that God would open his servant's eyes to see the spiritual army, horses and chariots of fire. And in that moment, the servant sees, and he gets a glimpse of the unseen world, and it totally changes his perspective. 
he realizes the army of Aram is indeed outnumbered, and they are outclassed. So continuing on in 2 Kings 6, 18-19, as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. And Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So Elisha pulls a Jedi mind trick. You guys are on the road. This is not the city you're looking for. More than that, Elisha says, follow me. I'll take you straight to Elisha. And then he leads the enemy army straight into the main stronghold of the king of Israel, and they're all captured. So here's the point and why we started with this story. There's a lot going on around us that we don't see. There is a spiritual invisible world around us, and it is just as real as the visible world, yet it is far more powerful. The Bible teaches that there are vast numbers of angels, both good and bad, There are glorious beings right now that would take our breath away if we saw them. There are evil beings that would horrify us if we could see them. And to most people in our culture, that sounds crazy or like we believe in fairy tales. We live in a rationalistic, naturalistic Western mindset, and that explains everything by what we can see. So to many people, saying that you believe in the existence of angels and demons is like saying you believe in dragons and elves. In the Western worldview, if you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't taste it, smell it, or hear it, then it does not exist. How can you believe in a supernatural God who controls thunder or lightning when meteorologists can use satellites and computers to predict storms when they happen? How can you say there's a spiritual tempter engaging our wills in the battle of good and evil when we all know it's just the configuration of our DNA combined with our family upbringing that leads us down certain paths? This humanistic Western worldview has creeped into our everyday lives and it has deadened us to the reality of the spiritual world to the point where many people, maybe most people, just see spiritual explanations of anything to be nothing more than religious fantasy. But we see this spiritual world throughout the Bible. In Genesis 3, spiritual temptation led to Adam and Eve physically eating a piece of fruit. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 4, He's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. In the book of Revelation, it gives a clear spiritual picture of physical reality. It's all over the Bible, and if you don't believe in the invisible spiritual world, then you are rejecting what the Bible teaches. And Jesus taught about the spiritual world as well. He believed and taught about angels and demons. His conception was announced by an angel, and so was his birth. He was tempted by the devil, and he was served by angels afterwards. Angels were present at his tomb after he rose from the dead, and they were present when he ascended into heaven. Think about what's happening right now, right here. The Bible is not just a book. The words of the Bible is the voice of God speaking to us. Let me say that one again. It's worth repeating. The words of the Bible is the voice of God speaking to us. And right now, the one true supernatural God is saying to you and me through his word that there is a spiritual world around us. And I say all this to set up for our study of 1 John 4 today, where John writes about a spiritual world that if you don't believe what he writes probably won't make a lot of sense to you. But if you do, God's word will be clear. So 1 John 4, 1 through 6, those are our main texts today. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, 
but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So something that we've been doing during our time when we're studying 1 John is we're using this as an opportunity to demonstrate how to study the Bible for yourself. And I hope that you've been learning from that and and getting input from that on how to do that. That can involve highlighting and circling and underlining. Everybody kind of has their own style and how they study. So we have a couple of main themes that we want to pull out from these verses. Um, And uh, First of all, John talks about four spirits in this passage. So if you're marking in your Bible... Or if you're like me and you're taking notes in your digital Bible, we're going to be underlining in verse 2, Spirit of God, and in verse 3, Spirit of Antichrist. Now, John sets these two up in opposition to each other, not equals, but still opponents. There are two other spirits to underline in verse 6, where you're going to see Spirit of Truth and Spirit of Falsehood. So four spirits that John talks about this, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Antichrist, Spirit of Truth, Spirit of Falsehood. God says in these verses that there are spirits that come from him and there are spirits that come from the devil. Now, another important group of people in these verses that we're going to underline are false prophets. So in verse 1, underline the words, many false prophets. And I want you to notice something. This is not just a few random false prophets. There are many false prophets. These false prophets can be both non-Christians and also can be many teachers who claim to be professing Christians. The devil does not appear in red tights and a pitchfork, introducing himself as the deceiver. He comes in attractive ways. Genesis 3, 6 says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, 15, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But when we're reading through these verses in 1 John, I also want you to see the encouraging thing that John wrote in there. He says, We don't have to be deceived. He says we don't have to be defeated spiritually. In these verses, he instructs his church and us to do a few things. So first he says, test everything you hear. 1 John 4, 1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You ever met anybody who just believes everything and go along to get along? But this verse says there are two things that we have to do. There's a negative and there's a positive. So if you're marking in your Bible, underline the negative. Do not believe. Do not believe every spirit. 
and circle the positive, test, but test the spirits. This is something that we must do and be alert for as Jesus followers. There are spirits that are from God and there are spirits that are from the devil and we need to be able to know which is which. Now the word here that's translated test is used in other places in the Old, or sorry, in the New Testament and it describes the purity of a metal. It means to examine something to find out its quality and its origin. So when we test an idea or a thought, we ask, where does it come from and is it worth keeping? Essentially, we're asking, is this from God or not? And we want to be sure to point out, I want to be sure to point out that this includes me. The Bible is telling you to test and examine every word I say. Every pastor you listen to, every book you read, every social media post or, visit or video, test it all. Everything you're hearing is either from God or from the devil, and it's critical that you determine which, especially in the church. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 warns us this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So if you were here for Nathan's presentation last week about what's going on in our denomination, you saw some examples of people that I believe fall into the category of false prophets. People who have either willingly rejected the truth or who themselves have been deceived. This is at our doorstep. People are trying to deceive you and your family to believe lies about Jesus to believe lies about who God is, lies about what God wants for you. And you need to test what they have to say and see if it is from God or from the devil. So the next thing that John says that we should do is trust the truth about Jesus. So 1 John 4, 3 says, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge, acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is in the world. So in these verses, you would have already underlined spirit of God and spirit of Antichrist. Now we're going to circle the word acknowledge. It's in there twice, so probably important. might be in your version of the Bible. Sometimes they use the word confess instead of acknowledge. This was the primary problem that John was addressing in the first century. People were teaching false things about Jesus. So I want you to listen, and if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this. If we do not have a right understanding of Jesus, then everything else crumbles around us. Everything in your life hinges on your view of Jesus. Your life, your marriage, or dating, or singleness... Your teenage years or parenting, your work, your spending, relationships, emotions, your plans, your dreams, getting everything right, getting anything right, all hinges on believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Fully God, fully human, who came to pay the price for our sins by dying on the cross and then being raised three days later. So that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, we are saved. And that is the truth that we can trust about Jesus. So we test everything we hear. We trust the truth about Jesus. 
And then we can trust in God's power. John 4, 4 continues, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So there's an action in this verse, and we've been circling action, so I want you to circle overcome. You have overcome them, and then underline greater, because we're going to define that word. It's an important word. The word greater here literally means stronger. So write that down in the margin of, of your Bible. That greater means stronger here. So if you're wondering how you can know the Spirit of God is in you, the answer goes back to what we just talked about. Do you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, the Savior from your, uh, from your sin, and that he's Lord of your life? And if you believe that, that didn't come from the one who's in the world. It came from God and his spirits at work in you. So in this spiritual war, you can trust in the power of God's spirit in you. You're not powerless against sin. You are not powerless over your addiction. If you were a Jesus follower, you have the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you who is stronger than our enemy. So to say it again, we test everything we hear. We trust the truth about Jesus we trust in God's power. And finally, these verses say that we can trust in God's word. 1 John 4, 4, 5, and 6 says, They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So in these verses, you should have already underlined spirit of truth and spirit of falsehood. Another important word in this, these verses is listens. We saw acknowledge twice. John says listens three times in this one. So circle all three listens. And then ask yourself, who am I listening to? Am I listening to the world or am I listening to God's word? Sometimes the world sounds good, but it's not God's truth. So how do we test, your, test the spirits? You've heard it here before, but I'm going to say it again. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Because that's the simple answer, and it's the truth. We have the inspired, infallible Word of God, and we need to test everything by it. Everything. Every, every new idea. Just so you know, most of those ideas are actually retreads of old ideas anyway. Every new fad. Everything that might look good on the surface. Test it against the truth of God's Word. The other thing about God's word is it's sufficient. We need to trust and obey the words we already have. We don't need to try to figure out more words from God or get a fresh word from God like some false teachers claim to have. If we just focus on doing the things that God has already told us in his word, we'll have more than enough to keep us spiritually engaged for a lifetime and beyond. God's word is living and active, and it has a way of cutting to the heart of the matter and revealing the truth. So let me give you a couple of practical examples. What if somebody says, you're basically a good person. Jesus' sacrifice for sins isn't necessary to make you right with God. That sounds good. I'm a good guy. <laughs> but when you process that thought, ask yourself, where is it coming from? Is it from God? What does God's word revealed in the Bible say? I want to point out a couple of places. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous, not even one. And 1 John 1.10 says, If we claim that we have not sinned, we call God a liar, 
and his word is not in us. How about if somebody says, I think all faiths lead to heaven. You know, the church of I'm okay, you're okay. I mean, that sounds good. I have, when I went to residency, I have good friends who, who practice the Muslim faith. And I want to think that they're going to heaven, right? I, I, I want to say that they're okay. But we have to test the idea, even if it looks good on the surface, and ask, where is it coming from? Is it from God? In John 14, 6, Jesus warns us, no one comes to the Father, comes to God, except through me. Claiming that all faiths lead to God is actually an outright lie about Jesus that is straight from the devil. And that's what spiritual warfare looks like. It's happening all around us, and we need to recognize it. You're in a spiritual war every day in your home, your workplace, your school, if you get on social media or watch the news, and unfortunately, even in church. This war is over your every word, every desire, every thought. So in this war, you need to test everything. Trust the truth about Jesus. Trust the power of God's Spirit living in you, who's greater than our enemy in the world. And trust the Word of God. Pray with me. Our holy, omnipotent, loving, and gracious Heavenly Father, help us to see the spiritual battle that's going on around us. Teach us your word. Help us to meditate on it, to internalize it, so through the power of your Holy Spirit living within us, we can test every word, every thought, every idea that comes in our way. Help us, Father, not to just hear your words, but to do what they say. Encourage and strengthen us not to grow weary in the fight, but to overcome by the one who lives in us and is greater, stronger, and more powerful than the one who is in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.